Well, good morning. My name is JJ. I'm the pastor of Family Discipleship, and it is my privilege to bring us into the new year today. So I'm excited to do that. Um, This past few weeks, this past month, this season of Advent and Christmas, we have um, been anticipating, we've been uh, looking forward to the coming of the light of the world, the true light of the world, Jesus Christ and the birth of the Christ child. And we celebrated that last weekend. Now it's time for us to respond. It's time for us to actually take what we've been waiting for and what we've been anticipating and put our faith into action and to respond to God's word. And we're going to have a chance to do this today. Uh, Rob set this up very well last week in his benediction as he read Matthew five thirteen through 16 over us. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. This, this passage, and you can turn there if you have your Bibles. This is where we'll be today, Matthew five thirteen through 16, as we wrap up our series on light of the world and wrapping up our holiday season. This is part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through uh, 7, the chapters 5 through 7. And just to give you a little bit of context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's early in Jesus' ministry, uh, early enough that we know that he had already called his disciples, but also early enough that we know that he had not yet had major opposition from religious leaders, hadn't really made anybody mad yet. But it was also early enough that his fame was spreading and crowds were starting to gather and his teaching was become well-known. It's clearly instructions for his followers, but it's taught in the view and within hearing distance of a large crowd. The basic message of the Sermon on the Mount is this, is that Christ's disciples are to be an influential kingdom witness in an oppressive world. And he, be, and he went on to teach how that looked and how we were to live that out in the, in the following verses as he opens up his salt and light and in the subsequent chapters if you read the Sermon on the Mount. And he uses these two metaphors, salt and light, to describe the influence of this kingdom and the witness that we're to have on it as his followers upon this world. This kingdom that he had just announced earlier in chapter 4 was now at hand. And so with this context, he begins to teach one of the most well-known teaching passages of Jesus in Scripture. And we pick it up in chapter 13 where he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, salt was very abundant in first century Palestine. It was, uh, it was known for its flavor, of course, for its seasoning, same thing that we use it for today. Salt also prevented corruption. It preserved and prevented and retarded decay. It was used to preserve a lot of meat. Uh, it was an irritant as well. It was used symbolically in Old Testament sacrifices. It had covenantal implications whenever it was used in the Old Testament, many times to, to set apart a covenant expectation or a, a covenant uh, direction that was given to Israel at that time. Salt from the surrounding area also could become very, very barren because of the sodium chloride in it. It could leach out from the impure uh, salt in the area, from the salting mines, especially the areas around the Dead Sea. 
it would leave a tasteless and a useless substance as it would do so. And it literally, as Jesus said, no longer good for anything. And many people would take that useless salt and they would throw it out along the way, along the highways, and it would be trampled under the foot of men and travelers as they traveled to and fro. Is also, in this context, most likely a jab at the formal legalistic religion of the Pharisees and the scribes. The religion is a religion that had lost its flavor. It had lost its purpose. It had become legalistic. It had lost its influence. So in other words, salt is of no value if it loses its flavor, but its flavor is not meant to be kept in a salt shaker because it has to be shaken out in order to be useful and in order to achieve its purpose. So the salt had basically lost its flavor in the life of religious Israel. This, this doesn't escape Christ, and it probably does not escape many of his followers. So this was also a call to his disciples, not just to be the salt of the earth as they represented him, but to pick up this task of flavoring, if you will, a flavoring that reflects who the true nature of God is in Jesus as they committed their lives to him, as they followed him as well. I love what one of my former pastors, Dave Gibson, says. He, he always said, everywhere that Jesus went, things were better. Lives were better. People were better. Or, or at least they were given the chance to have things better or to be better. This is the kind of influence that Jesus is talking about, the kind of influence that we're called to be as salt in this world as we model and represent Christ. Well, we are the salt of the earth. And I have 15 minutes, so I am flying through this, these explanations so that you can experience the worship station. So stay with me. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus moves on. He says, you are the light of the world as well. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone put a lamp or take a lamp and put it under a basket but rather on a lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. Now, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. First century Palestine cities, city on a hill cannot be hidden. First century Palestinian cities were often set on a hill for a number of reasons. First of all, it was cooler. It was, it was closer to the breeze in a very hot, arid, dry, and, 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 and deserty area where a lot of the cities were in a rocky area then this was a, 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 a reason that they would put a city up a little bit higher. Hills often also protected people and protected the cities from attacks. If you're up on a hill, it's a lot easier for you to see what's going on below. It's a lot easier for you to see your attackers if they're coming. It's a lot easier for you to defend yourselves and to be ready and armed, ready to defend yourself. But more importantly, probably mostly getting to Jesus' point here is this. A city on a hill is more visible because of its elevated position. Because of its elevated position. Why? Most buildings in that time were built out of a white limestone. And a city that was up on a hill reflected the light of the sun by day. It would also reflect the light of the moon and the moon would give at night in the light of the lamps that were inside it so that the traveler or the pilgrim could see it from afar off. 
so that it would be very, very visible. This is the, the idea that Jesus is, is getting uh, across to his followers here. This allowed for visibility for miles away for travelers and for citizens of the city. So Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're like a city that doesn't need to be hidden, that can't be hidden. Now, many of you may be saying, kids, maybe you're saying, I don't know, that JJ, we just talked about Jesus being the light of the world. We just celebrated this the last four weeks. How, how can Jesus also say that we're the light of the world as well? Well, here's what he means by that. Here's an easy way to explain it. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw the, the ring around the moon a few weeks ago. I saw a lot of you posted about it. Some of you uh, posted on it. Some of you posted about, uh, about it as well. But uh, it was just a really a, one of this, this incredible phenomenon where there were enough ice crystals in the atmosphere where there was this bright halo around the, the moon. I think I quoted a Beyonce thing on it or something. I don't know. So. <clears throat> but here's how this works, all right? The, the moon, I used to think that the moon had its own light when I was a kid, but it doesn't. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moonlight that we see, we talk about the moonlight all the time, especially if you're a hopeless romantic. Moonlights in all kinds of songs and poetry and everything else. But moon, the moon does not give light in and of itself. It reflects that the light that the sun gives. So when we see the moonlight at night, it's reflecting the sun that is shining on it from the other side of the world while we're experiencing night and they're experiencing day. In the same way, just as the moon reflects the sun's true light, we're called to reflect the light of Christ as we commit to him, as we live in this world and represent him as his people, as the church, as his family. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That's why he can say, I'm the light of the world, but you are also the light of the world as you reflect the true light of the sun. That's a message that he's getting across to his disciples you are the light of the world. And he goes on. Neither does anyone take a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In Jesus' days, homes were lit by these small clay lamps that you could probably hold in your hand. And they had two different holes, one hole to put oil in and one for the wick to come out. You would light the wick, it was lit, and it would give light uh, to the, the household. Most homes back then were modest one-room structures, and so placing a lamp on a lampstand in that home could give light to everyone in the house. So the point here that Jesus is making is not that, um, it's, it's not that people should not hide their lights, but it's that people do not hide their lights. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, people don't take a lamp and put it on a lampstand or put it on a, under a basket and put it out. That's ridiculous, that's silly. It defeats the purpose. They put it on a lampstand for all to see. In other words, it, it means that we are to called not to hide our lamp and live in that kind of isolationist mentality. That word hide can also, uh, it can also indicate both isolation and uh, extinguishment. So for us, the question is this. Am I prone at times to live my life in isolation, to hide my light in isolation. That is, do I sometimes desire not to share my light with those around me, but to keep it to myself? Or am I prone to extinguish my light? Maybe when it's 
not convenient to reflect Christ, right? Say when I'm anywhere but church or anywhere but in discipleship or in my fellowship group or in my 242 group, right? Or do I only represent Jesus when it's convenient? R.T. France said, a secret disciple is no more use in this world than a disciple that has lost his distinctiveness, making reference to both light and salt in that quote of his. The bottom line is that the ruler of this world has this world in darkness, doesn't he? He hides the truth. He obscures the truth. He deceives people. And as bearers of the light of Christ, we're called to illuminate that truth and to expose his lies by directly reflecting the light of Christ and giving this world a glimpse of him. You're the light of the world. You don't hide your light under a basket. It can't be hidden like a city on a hill can't be hidden. So you have to let your light shine before men. And this is where Jesus continues, verse 16. Let your light shine therefore before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, my kids reflect my physical attributes and my wife's. They reflect the character qualities of both their mom and me, good and bad. There are times when I look at Anna and I look at Kelsey and I say, she is your daughter. She is her mother's daughter, good and bad. There are times that she looks at me and she looks at Ben and she says, he is his father's son, good and bad. There are times when we both look at each other, especially when that sin nature kind of rears its ugly head. And I beat her to the punch and I say, that's your child. You ever done that? Mom, dad, that's your child. You need to deal with your child. You ever heard that? I've heard that a lot of times when I get home. You need to deal, when they were younger especially, you need to deal with your child. There are times when we look at each other and we go, where in the world did that come from? It didn't come from us. It has to be a reflection, Lord willing, of their Heavenly Father. That time when they just blow you away and do something that totally reflects Christ. The point is this, is that we are our parents' children in the same way we're our father's children. Another way to put it is, is this, you reflect whose you are. You reflect whose you are. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And to his disciples and his followers, he's emphatically hitting the you. He's, he's emphasizing in a, a big way the you. You alone are the salt of the earth. You alone are the light of the world. Not, not the scribes and Pharisees, not the crowd over here that's, that's listening and watching us, but you, you as my followers who reflect me as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you are the ones who are reflecting your heavenly Father. So you need to live in such a way that you reflect your Father the way a son, the way a daughter reflects her parents, so that people may recognize that and give glory to your heavenly Father. And a so-called disciple without good works that point to his heavenly Father is of no more value than flavorless salt or unconcealed lamp. It just doesn't work. So what's the so what? What's the application? What does it, it mean for us today? 
That's this very quickly where Jesus took his disciples in this teaching time. There's so much more there that we just don't have time to get into. But what does it mean for us, especially as we begin to, to prepare to, to interact with God's word and, and to respond to that with our worship stations today? I'm so excited about this. Creative way for us to do this. What does it mean for us? Well, I believe it means two things. First of all, I believe that it means, number one, that we're called to move from the positional to the practical. We're called to move from the positional to the practical. Here's what I mean. Rob did a great job of, of bringing this point out a couple of weeks ago in this message when he said, not only, if you remember this, when he said, not only are we objects of God's love, we're also what? Anybody remember? We're instruments of God's love. We're objects of God's love. That's the position we hold in Christ. Because we are in Christ, our Heavenly Father loves us. He knows us. We are his children. In fact, he loved us before the foundation of this world as well and desired for for us to know him. That's the positional aspect of this. But we're also the instruments of God's love. That's the practical part of it. That's what it looks like in praxis or practice. We're the instruments of God. We have a chance now to interact with God's word and decide how this year we can be salt and light and instruments of God's love. So when we move from the positional to the practical, it means that we begin begin living our lives as God's instruments of of his love to those around us. Basically, it means we start shaking salt and lighting our light for others to see so they will glorify our Father in heaven. It means that we reflect our Father. We reflect whose we are. It means that we must move out of this mindset that it's just fine to rest in the fact that I'm okay as long as I belong to Jesus without doing anything to represent him to others. This, this in, in the same way as this is a call for, for his disciples and his followers to live a life that reflects him, it's also a warning against aloofness and isolationism, much like the religion of the scribes and Pharisees have become this aloofness and isolation that even we can fall into by not wanting to have anything to do with the world at all. In other words, it's, 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 it's not prudent for us to build a holy fence around our family or around our lives, so to speak, and not engage with the world and protect ourselves and, and, and not have anything to do with the world. That's, that's clearly not what Christ intends from these verses that we've read today. These two metaphors, they complement one another. They complement each other in this way. First of all, salt acts secretly. You can't see it. You can't see the effects of it. You can taste it. If you enjoy meat that's been preserved by it later, then you've seen the effects of that as well. Uh, Light, on the other hand, shines openly. Where salt acts secretly, light shines openly. Salt must be sprinkled over food, rubbed into meat. It must be allowed to flavor food. It must be allowed to irritate decay and to to hold back decay. Light must be allowed to shine in darkness and to not be hidden undercover. I like what one commentator says. He says this, he says, we as followers of Christ must mingle with the world in order to give it a good flavor and preserve it. 
But as light, we must also be distinct from the world in order to illuminate truth to it. It's this tension that we're called to live in. It's this being in the world but not of the world as a follower of Christ. Second thing, the so what that I believe applies to us is this. Not only are we called to move from the positional to the practical, but I believe that we're called to move or we're called to be a taste of the inbreaking here but not yet fully here kingdom of God. Just a taste of the kingdom. This, that's our job as a church. The church is the agency by which the inf- kingdom influences mankind. So when we live into being the church, when we live into being the family of faith, when we, uh, when, when we do it well and we love well and we extend grace well, we are modeling a picture of what is yet to come when things will be fully restored and fully redeemed one day under the rule and the reign of Christ. We're, we're giving people a little taste of the kingdom. That's part of our job as a church, to be a picture, a little bit of a picture of the kingdom, albeit not perfect yet, that's coming one day as a testimony of the one who's bringing this in-breaking kingdom. So, For us today, the question is this, where can I be a taste of the kingdom? It's the question I want you to take with you as you interact with each other and interact as a family, as a husband and wife, interact with the Lord individually around these worship stations. Here's here's just a couple ways it may look. Mom, dad, uh, if you're single and you work in the workforce, it it may mean that for you to be salt and light, it may mean that one day you have to take a moral or ethical stand at work when it could cost you something. Maybe it could cost you a promotion or a relationship or even a job one day. Kids, it may mean being the salt of the earth and lie of the world. It may mean that, that when you're at school or when you're with other kids, you're the one that reaches out to that kid that others are unkind to and you befriend them and you show them Christ's love, even though you may be made fun of yourself for doing that. Students, it may mean that you, you may choose not to cheat when everyone else around you is doing it, even Christian students. Or it means you may have to make a decision to let some kind of friendship or, or relationship go that you know you shouldn't be in, you know is not reflective of the life that Christ calls us to live or even make choices to do the right thing, even if it costs you uh, a reputation or a friendship. For those of us that have grown kids, maybe we're empty nesters, or um, we have time to give and spare, it may mean that we invest in a family here that doesn't have family around, and we're the hands and feet of Christ to them as we love them, as we build that relationship with them. And for you as a family, maybe it means you just find a creative way to be the hands and feet of Christ to your neighbors. I I don't know personally what it means for you, for you and your spouse, for you individually, for your family, but I know that we have a chance today to respond to this encouragement to be salt and light in our world today. And we're gonna do that around these worship stations. We have a chance to respond today to God's word. But before we do that, I wanna give you some instructions about these these areas around the room. 
Eric has already set it up very well and explained pretty much what each one is, especially what to do with the offering station. We have our global station in back. We have the light station in one corner and the salt station in another. And all these are interactive. We want you, especially those of you, your families are here, your kids are here. These are interactive. We want your kids to interact with these. Just don't eat all the crackers. We've got to have another service after this, so, okay? But we have a chance to, t- to interact with what it means to be salt and light. And, and here's some instructions. Around the room, we have the different worship stations for you to interact with, either with God, either in, as an individual, uh, as a husband and wife, with your spouse, or as a family. At each station, there are instructions for you to interact with. It tells you how to, to use the elements at the station. These instructions are also in your program as well. If you uh, didn't get a program, you can grab one in back. Um, while each station is family-friendly, families, uh, uh, and it encourages hands-on activity, we, we, as parents, you may choose to help your kids with some certain elements of some of them. If, if you like, in the back when we're drawing a string to the prayer partner for our global prayer time or the offering when we're pinning up uh, the, the, the ways that we're encouraged by the ministries of the church. Right, So the, you make that choice and you make the decision as a parent. We're going to have about 10, 15 minutes to interact with these as stations, so use your time wisely. Now listen, this is not the end of the service. All right? This isn't the time to go home. This is a time for us to respond to God. We don't get these a lot. This is a chance for us to respond to God and interact with Him, either at the stations, in your seats, up here at the altar, with our prayer partners over here, it's a chance for you to do that. There's a lot of us here, so make sure that you give time to allow others to experience the stations as well. If you see there are too many folks at one station, you may want to go to another station until that one clears. And it doesn't take long at each station. You don't have to linger there. We want you to encourage, we want to encourage everyone to be able to, to experience them all. You may choose to uh, stay in your seat uh, or use some of the space up here available and interact with some questions that we're going to have on all three screens. You can either, either interact with God individually as a husband and wife or as a family with those, either before or after, if there's not time or there's too many people at one of the stations. Our prayer partners will be down front in our prayer space. If you want someone to pray with you. You feel free to use this space down here as an altar and our kneeling benches to come and pray. This, we want this whole room to be a sacred space for you to respond to whatever it is that God wants you to respond to after hearing his word. You may not get to every station, or you may. Um, that's fine. Um, it's up to you and your family and the Holy Spirit. Just remember that before you come back, and, and after our time together, Luke's going to bring us back for a final worship song, and, and then we have a special way that we're ending. But before you come back, at least make your way to the light station and grab one of the glow sticks. Don't activate it yet, because we're going to do something at the end of the service together with that to remind us of our commitment to be salt and light, okay? So let me pray for us, and then we'll be free to move around the room for the next 10, 15 minutes as we experience our prayer stations. Father, thank you for your word. As we've heard your word and the encouragement to be salt and light, Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit would just teach us how that looks for us this coming year in our homes, in our jobs, school, with our families, with each other as a church. So we pray that you will just guide our time these next few minutes during our prayer stations. 
and we give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Prayer stations are open. I'll give a warning when there's about five minutes left and then Luke will call us back.